Hi everyone, it's Caleb. I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am joined by Tony Newhoff. She has recently released her brand new book called Before You Split, Find What You Really Want for the Future of Your Marriage. And, you know, one of the things here on the Learner's Corner, which we always want to continue to do, um, and really what the podcast is kind of built on is that we want to learn from anything and everything from everyone and from anyone. And that concerns all areas of life from leadership to personal growth to even just becoming, you know, uh, a better woman or a better man, a better leader. Um, and, and if you happen to be a, pay, a person of faith as a concern, like, uh, like I happen to be, um, and sometimes a, a better Jesus follower as well. And that includes our relationships. And that's really what we're going to dig in with Tony today. And I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, just a little bit about Tony before uh, we dive into the conversation. Tony is a family law mediator. She's a former divorce attorney and the co-host of the Smart Family Podcast. You may be familiar or she may sound familiar because of her last name. Her husband is uh, Carrie Newhoff as well, who is an influential author and podcaster and international speaker. Carrie's actually been on the podcast before. And if you've been listening uh, to the Learner's Quarter for a while, you know that Carrie um, is one of my favorite people to learn from as well. And so I'm super excited to talk with Tony. But before we get into that, I do want to give a couple of quick thank yous and, and just say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this episode and making it sound so good. Actually, Sam making it sound so good and Garrett Oler, who does uh, the editing for the podcast as well and making it sound so awesome also. And if this happens to be your first episode, uh, listening to the Learner's Corner, I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. You know, really what we want to do here in the Learner's Corner is create a safe place to have dangerous conversations. Because if you're like me, you've probably realized that there are certain conversations that you can have with some people and some conversations that maybe you're afraid to bring up with other people. And here on the Learner's Corner, we truly want to create a safe place to have those, those dangerous conversations. And in the meantime, help you become a little better uh, in your life as well. And so I'm super excited that you've decided to join me today. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Tony. Well, Tony, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about your brand new book, Before You Split. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I want to get into the book um, in just a minute. But before that, one of the questions that I was really curious about, as you know, you uh, you have experience as a, as a family law mediator and former divorce attorney. And uh, I'm just curious, what have you learned about you know, people going through divorce or the divorce process that maybe the the average person just doesn't realize just because they've never been through it maybe themselves. It's it's so hard to know how a divorce process is actually going to roll out. So I think one thing people don't know if they haven't gone through a divorce before or they haven't um, maybe seen their parents go through it is that it's probably not going to look or feel or end up the way you expected. Mm. So I, I had some clients who were honestly shocked by the gap between what they expected was going to happen and what ended up happening. And it, it's simply because the when you separate, there's a new day there's a lot of very high stakes decisions that have to be made. And so where some of my clients were disappointed because they thought that by leaving their marriage, they were leaving a set of problems behind. Mm. What they realized after some time was that they had basically traded that set of problems for another set of problems. It didn't necessarily feel like an upgrade. Mm. Yeah. Is there is there anything else? I mean, that's a really good insight. Is there anything else that really particularly stands out to you that you've learned through just your your years of being a former divorce attorney? Uh, divorce is just a, a tough, a really tough road to walk down. And my heart goes out to anyone who may be facing a divorce or going through a divorce right now. Uh, it's uh, 
it's like going through a divorce is like going through palliative care for a relationship as opposed to a person. And um, it brings up a lot of emotions uh, and they can be very overwhelming. So sometimes people end up uh, saying things they don't mean to say, doing things they don't mean to do because it's so intense emotionally. Uh, I, I guess one thing I really learned by seeing it up close is that people who are going through a divorce really need the support of loving people who will give them wise advice, you know, help them to figure out these decisions that have to be made in the midst of all these overwhelming emotions. Mm-hmm. So you've written your book before you split to obviously help people with uh, with navigating that choice for themselves of whether or not to divorce or not to divorce. And I always love asking uh, anyone who has created some type of book or work of art or whatever it might be, was there like a series of events or an event that made you finally go, okay, I, I have to put this thing out into the world to help other people? <laughs> there were a few steps. So one one important step was that uh, Kerry was meeting with his book agent and I had a dinner with them. And during uh, the dinner, his book agent turned to me and said, "Okay, I want to hear about what you're learning in your divorce practice. And so I just started sharing some of my observations. And she said, "Uh, you have to write a book about that. Um, But at the time, I thought, well, you say that to everyone. You're a book agent. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, there was that. And then um, I, I did start to accumulate some of the things that I had learned and it started to um, cross my mind that maybe I needed to read to, to write some of these learnings down. And then I've, I had some clients who came back to me at the end of the day when their agreement was done, when the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And they said, if only I'd known then mm-hmm. what I know now. I would have worked harder to save my marriage. And I think that was the biggest motivator for me that I I wanted to write down some of the experiences, Carrie and I went through when, when we struggled so deeply, but also some of the things that I'd seen through the eyes of my clients who went through the process uh, so that, so that people will have the benefit of at least understanding the issues more clearly, understanding what, you potentially could do to solve some of those problems and then a view into what you might be facing depending on which option you choose. Mm -hmm. And just as you kind of alluded to, you cover a lot of yours and Carrie's uh, marriage story throughout the book. And I don't necessarily, uh, I want to obviously save some of it for people to read the book, but would you mind just telling maybe just a short version or a 10 minute version or something or five or 10 minute version of just kind of yours and Carrie's love story through that? Sure. So Carrie and I met in law school. Uh, We were in the same law school section, about 50 students who traveled around together. And we became fast friends when we met in the first week. And then after a couple of months, we actually started dating and things went from there. So from from the time we met uh, until the day we were married, it was 18 months. Hmm. So then from in the next 18 month period, uh, we continued law school. Uh, I w- became pregnant with my first son and, and that was actually planned by the way. He likes to say that it wasn't, but it was. <laughs> oh. and, and so we had a pretty compressed time frame, you know, from meeting to being married, to having our first child. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at law school. We were both working our way through law school as well. So we hit the ground running in our relationship And partway through that period, Carrie experienced a call to ministry. So we knew when we were married that Carrie would be going to seminary, but he wanted to finish his law degree first. Mm -hmm. So so we went, um, we stayed in Toronto, actually, after law school. And then while Carrie was in law school, he started thinking about taking a student charge. And what that means is, a, a church who is looking for a student pastor. And, and normally that happens, at least in Ontario, because a, a church really doesn't have the budget for a, for a full-time fully ordained pastor. And so mm-hmm. they look for a student pastor. So uh, we ended up uh, 
relocating north of the city to three small churches. And anyone who's heard Carrie tell his story before may have heard this, that um, he took a, a student charge with three very small churches. Uh, and so we had my second son just very shortly after moving to Oro. And it was when we started this uh, home life of two young boys, Carrie leading the church. And I was also working at that point part-time because we needed the money, frankly, yeah. <laughs> basically being paid as a student pastor. And we, we were, we were dealing with so many things at once. So we both came from mainline church backgrounds and I was a relatively new Christian. I had only accepted the invitation to follow Christ a couple of, well, one, one year actually before I started law school mm -hmm. and I didn't have any discipleship of any kind in that year. So I was, uh, I was starting out really wanting to follow Jesus, but not having an idea mm. what that meant. Yeah. And so during law school, Carrie and I were in a small group that was hugely instrumental in my, in my growth. Uh, at least as far as starting to read the Bible, starting to have meaningful conversations about, you know, what does following Christ mean in my life? Um, but Carrie and I ended up having some, some deep struggles with uh, emotional, um, just emotionally loaded arguments that we seem to never be able to make our way through. Uh, a, a lot of um, difficulty navigating, you know, how do we carry out our leadership roles and also parent our kids and mm -hmm. also, you know, try to manage what's going on interpersonally between us. And, and I think during that, and as part of it, we, we didn't have a good mentor, um, pastor or couple who, who helped us navigate those early years. I mean, we, we did have the, the minister who was, uh, who called us to the charge was amazing. We love him. He, he was remarkable. Um, but we didn't have that kind of close mentoring relationship, at least for me, where I had somebody speaking into my life about my personal life. Mm -hmm. And I think with Carrie, it was mainly mentoring in terms of leadership, not in terms of discipleship. So we, uh, we got into a deep, vicious cycle of conflict. And, uh, and I believe during that period too, because of our like relative, I would call it naivety, spiritual mm -hmm. naivety. Uh, we also didn't understand how much, uh, there, you know, we were being opposed the enemy, you know, really, really does try to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we were really being played and, um, and so it, it did become a struggle where we both passionately wanted to serve Christ. We mm -hmm. both wanted our marriage to work. We were both so frustrated. We didn't know what to do. And, and that's, and that's where we were. Yeah. So, um, it, it, uh, the, the, the short and good answer to the story is that it got far better. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I just want to know what, was there like a turning point for you? Like, can you point back to, Hey, it was this moment. It was these couple of things that obviously, like, I don't think anyone has, you know, maybe a perfect marriage or a perfect relationship, but you do, you do tend to trend towards healthy. Is there something like a turning point or a couple of things that helped you move in that direction? I would say there, there were actually a few turning mm -hmm. points. And one of them was that, uh, I, I had this very emotional, despairing reaction at one point when we were on vacation. Like I just had this episode where I cried and cried and cried, seemed to sort of come out of nowhere. And it was the first clue that I really needed to pay attention to what was going on inside mm -hmm. and to uh, the, the problems that I was having that were related, not to Carrie, and not even to the the surface struggles that we were having in our relationship, but to trauma from my early childhood years. And when I, I had this, it was about a day and a half of, you know, deep despair. You would have said it looked like depression if you'd seen me at the time, but I snapped back. And then at that point, the question is, well, 
do I deal with this or do I just go on? Because I could go back to work. I could Mm -hmm. still volunteer at the church. I could parent. I could do all the things. But I, I chose to go to counseling because whatever that was, it came from some deep place and I didn't know what it was. So that was the start of, you know, a turnaround in a good sense that it, it, it helped, helped start the journey to greater self-awareness. And then Carrie and I went to a conference and it was a, it was an inner healing conference, but we didn't realize, I didn't realize anyway, what I was signing up for. Mm -hmm. I was just looking for a weekend away because I'd been working and this was a few years later. So I was leading at one of the local hospitals and Carrie was leading at the church. And so a four day weekend away in Pennsylvania sounded great to me. And it was as mindless as that. (laughs) 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 But friends of of ours had set this up and it was a weekend intended to um, teach Christians how to lead people in inner healing prayer. And little did I know that I would be uh, one of the subjects mm-hmm. <laughs> at the conference. And so this was also um, instrumental in part of that healing from trauma and also just being um, involved in in spiritual warfare prayers that honestly, before that, because of my mainline upbringing in the church, I had I had this sort of distant um feeling about the scriptures that referred to, you know, Jesus driving out demons and so Mm -hmm. on. It was just something that seemed to be not part of my experience. And, you know, that was then, and this is now, and, you know, it opened my eyes to, uh, that there is still a battle between good and evil in our day. And, and that there is a role for discernment, you know, you do need to discern between the spirits. And, um, and so that was, that was hugely important for Carrie and I, Mm -hmm. because we were having our most painful, biggest blowout arguments. Guess when, guess which, which day of the week, (laughs) Saturday, (laughs) Saturday before he had to get up and preach on Sunday. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, that would make it a challenge too, because yeah, <laughs> yep. I, w- I want to go back to, um, you know, just kind of your guys' story. And as I'm listening, I'm, I'm going, that's a lot of transition in a short amount of time as well. Yeah. And I think, especially if, if there's one thing that has been highlighted in 2020, it's that transition is going to come one way or another. <laughs> and I right? just, I just would love for you to reflect back on, what did what did you learn through those years of what what not to do during transition, you know, with your partner or even just what you've learned, uh, you know, since then about, hey, when you're going through a transition, these are the things you want to pay attention to. These are the things you want to do. And like, do not do these things at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, transition is hard. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. Um. It's so important to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt because especially in times of change, if you're not really sure what way is up, you both may be processing the change differently. And some people are verbal processors. They might have to go various through various versions of you know, the thought process before landing on the final version. And, but, but some, if you're not giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt, you might react emotionally or get triggered by some of that verbal processing. And so, yes, give each other the benefit of the doubt in your conversations. I actually heard someone describe it recently as an umbrella of mercy Mm-hmm. That while while you're processing, and I think it applies to change and facing change and brainstorming and even dreaming about the future, is that you can have this conversation without attaching your emotions to it or without getting caught up in a in a an emotional fear reaction or you know starting to get angry about the fact that they're talking about 
something. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that, that does make sense. What, what has helped you not get caught up in that emotion? Because especially like depending on the topic, like we're, we all have things that we're very sensitive to and our emotions rise up whenever that happens. What is, what's helped you like, like not, uh, not repress the emotions, but almost hit like pause on the emotions. Right. When we were in that vicious cycle of conflict that I talked about, mm-hmm. Carrie and I actually needed to develop a signal between the two of us that this is, and I think we just said stop. I think it was just the word stop, where once we were getting heated and, and you know, as far as being, going, being triggered goes, you know, you can describe it or think of it as different color zones. So green means calm and cool. Yeah. Uh, yellow is, well, we're starting to get heated and the red zone is triggered. Mm -hmm. And so when you're heading from the yellow zone to the red zone, you probably notice your body's signals that that is happening. Uh, You know, you may start to feel a flush rising through your body to your face or your pulse may increase. You might start sweating. Um, But when you start to notice those, um, those body signals, then that's the time to throw up the signal and and put a stop to having the conversation, at least at that point, because the problem is once you reach the red zone, you're, you are going to have your brain flooded by chemicals that prevent you from even thinking rationally. And that's when people do things they don't intend to do. They say things they don't mean to say, and it can just get messy. So, uh, so it, it, for us, it was a matter of, Agreeing in advance that if one of us says stop, we actually do stop. Mm. And sometimes it was hard. You know, sometimes the other person might go, well, but, 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 you know, and <laughs> like, hey, I still have to get this in here. But no, then stop. You you need to stop because just for the sake of staying um, together and valuing your relationship with each other, uh, that that joint intention that you're going to be respectful when you have these conversations and just take a break really means a lot. It means that you're not walking away from the issue because often these are important issues like, like budgeting or a purchase that you have to make or, you know, a decision over travel or whatever, but there were decisions over the kid's education. You know, they're important decisions that one of you might get triggered. So you park it, you don't abandon it. You park it for at least enough time so that you can both be calm and cool and then go back at it again. And you might have to try it a few times. Mm -hmm. And and then beyond that, you might even need to draw in a third person. If you're not having any success in actually getting through the conversation to where you need to go, or if you've hit an impasse, then having either a mediator or pastor or a counselor, but someone else there to help you navigate the conversation is a huge help. And we did do that. Mm -hmm. What, what are some, uh, I mean, you mentioned a few of them, but I just want to ask, is there any like signs to where like, Hey, it, it might be very helpful for us to bring in a third person to it. And how, how do you introduce that conversation? If like maybe your partner doesn't recognize it either. Yes. It took us quite some time to get on the same page about bringing in a marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. So at first I was going to individual counseling and Carrie wasn't keen about marriage counseling and I don't blame him. I know that there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. who to this day are, are, you know, just not inclined to go to counseling. Um, So it was a matter of us both realizing that we were at an impasse and we, we were stuck. So I think over time, uh, Carrie accepted the idea of going to marriage counseling. We had that kind of struggle over our finances too, that it, it was a lot of work and, many arguments for us to to try to make progress on being on the same page with our finances. Mm-hmm. And finally, we did reach out to someone. And I think we were, we had this feeling that feeling of embarrassment that, 
you know, why don't we have this together? I mean, we, we felt like we, I guess there was some shame attached to it. We felt like we mm-hmm. shouldn't be struggling as much as we were over um, money issues. But finally, I think our inability to, to make progress and land on the same page was enough to convince both of us uh, that we should reach out. And we, we reached out to one of our elders, um, very wise, uh, a, a great man who uh, really had it together as far as finances go. And, uh, and, and our experience was so different from what we were afraid of. I mean, he was just so wise and, and loving and confidential, you know, that there was no reason for us to have been so slow at reaching out for help. So if anything, you know, my, my takeaway from both of those examples would be, we should have taken those steps earlier. Mm -hmm. And and both of us can see that with 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I want to ask you about, and uh, I think you briefly uh, maybe mentioned it is how, how can you go about determining whether or not whatever, like if it's an issue that you personally need to work on, or if it's something that your partner struggles with. Um, yeah, I would, I would just love your, your thoughts on that because I'm, I think sometimes, you know, depending on, depending on what the behavior can be and, and how healthy maybe the person that you're in a relationship, sometimes it can feel like you are the problem. And, uh, (laughs) and I I would just love your thoughts on that. Oh, Caleb, you are asking the question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Because it was true with Carrie and it's been true with every struggling couple I've seen, even the ones going through separations, that people sincerely believe that it's their spouse's fault, that Mm -hmm. they're struggling so much. And we were there too. I'm not saying that in any judgy way because we were there. And one of the problems with, um, with, you know, this conflict is that there's often if you if you dig down beneath the surface there is a victim story going on mm-hmm. as a narrative in the background and the problem with holding on to a victim story is that it it clouds your vision it's like putting on a pair of glasses that aren't yours they have the wrong prescription so all you see are blurry images and you can't see the details uh so yeah, for for Carrie and I, um, it was very very difficult to sort out what was mine, what was mm-hmm. his, and and the reality is that often it is not unidimensional at all. That there's more than one thing going on when couples are stuck and frustrated, and so for us, just as an example, when um, when the kids were young and Carrie and I were both in our um, responsible work positions. We had a, an epic struggle over getting things done at home, you know, just managing our home and, and keeping things clean and um, the domestic activities. Mm-hmm. And Carrie uh, felt like he was a victim of what was going on. And he would say, or he would have thought something like, well, because Tony's not doing X, Y, and Z at home, it's chaos. I can't take it. And if only she wasn't so lazy then we would be better. Mm -hmm. And my victim story went something like, well, because Carrie is out so much, he's working long hours. I think I would have even used the term workaholic at some points. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm exhausted and it's all I can do to, to do my work, to look after what the kids need and that's it. So we both were pointing the finger at each other and it was a tension that just went on and on and seemed to have no, no solution. Um, but what needed to happen was we needed to get underneath that victim story because it was preventing us from seeing the reality of other factors in our, in this conflict. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, one of them was that, um, it was something that I only was able to uncover, you know, with prayer, with reflection, with our Christian counselor, that I I was also exhausted because I was uh, socially isolated. Mm. Uh, I was skimming on relationships. And 
you know, Carrie and I weren't, weren't doing well at that point, but my other relationships were, were superficial and, you know, being, being isolated, not having community, um, is also, you know, a factor in, um, leading toward depression and I was subclinically depressed. So, you know, there were other reasons. It wasn't just that, Carrie was out of the house. It was also that these other things were going on. But the problem with the victim story is that it prevents us from seeing the the complexity of the true situation and all the factors that are involved. Yeah. How can you go about identifying like a victim story in yourself? It's not easy. It's not easy because we have this self-protective tendency to try to blame others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that we don't have to look at ourselves and maybe look at the, um, the, the painful things inside. Like in, for my, in my case, it was, why was I socially isolated? And that was something that, that turned out to be related to the trauma that I'd gone through as a child, where I had this this lie that I believed um, hadn't spoken about. It wasn't on my radar screen. It wasn't something that I was consciously aware of, but I only became aware of it through prayer, you know, through healing prayer, through the guidance of Christian counselors that uh, I had this lie that I'm better off alone mm. and, re- and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. I mean, that is a, a lie that the enemy would implant. So um so it took all those things uh, that I mentioned, and but my spiritual growth, my journey with Christ was instrumental in that. It you know it takes the light of Christ sometimes to expose the darkness, and and that was certainly true in getting to the to the root of my victim stories. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that plays into it is expectations as well. Like I can hear them talking about like especially in the victimhood mentality that you were mentioning. Um, how can you tell whether or not you're placing an unrealistic expectation on someone? That's a tricky thing yeah. because <laughs> when you talk about the line between re- what's realistic and what's unrealistic, Hey, you know, we go through a journey in life yeah. and what might have been completely unrealistic for me as a 25 year old, maybe entirely realistic for me at 40 or, you know, having gone through um, something that prompted my spiritual growth. So yeah, unrealistic versus realistic. I would say if it seems like you're um, setting a bar that you're expecting your spouse to, to jump over, but there's hardship there's strife or um, it just seems like your spouse can't jump over that bar, Mm -hmm. then something isn't right. So whether whether that expectation is unrealistic or not, maybe something that you have to um, reach out if you're at an impasse in your own conversation about it, you might have to rely on a close friend somebody who's, who's wise and willing to be honest. Um, you may need to, to go to a counselor. You may need to talk to your pastor um, because that line between what's realistic and unrealistic is sometimes hard to tease out, but something to pray about. I, I mean, you know, Jesus has the insight, has the wisdom for us when we ask for it and truly want to receive it, he gives it to us. And so even a couple just praying together and asking for Jesus wisdom on that question of whether the expectation is realistic Mm -hmm. or unrealistic will do wonders. Mm -hmm. What, what advice would you give to the person who, uh, who their partner or their spouse is working through their own stuff right now and they want to be supportive um, what what advice would you give to just help them along that journey? Be supportive towards their partner. Yeah, that journey of growth is uh, it's positive, but it can be difficult to get through. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if your partner is dealing with with something serious, like an addiction mm-hmm. or um, a, a mental health problem of some kind, 
Um, when, when Carrie and I had to deal with that period where Carrie was burned out and I was depressed at the same time, mm-hmm. that was a tough season. Um, you really need to cut each other some slack. So whatever you can do to at least help your spouse have some space, they're, go- they're going to need um, some time on their own to, to process, um, to hopefully, hopefully to, to pray on their own, hopefully to get into God's word. I mean, I think that helps with, you know, with any issue you're dealing with um, time for appointments um, and maybe it might involve shouldering some more of the responsibilities at home or being open to getting some extra help, you know, paying someone to come in and and do house cleaning where you wouldn't normally do that, but you're going to agree to, to cover that for a season Mm -hmm. so that, you know, that all important healing can happen. Um, I think it's also important to just be loving the more you can um, demonstrate love. And I don't know if you've heard of the five love languages. Oh yeah. Have you heard of five love languages? Yep, I'm familiar okay. with them. Yeah. yeah. So speaking love in your, in your partner's language, the way they receive it. Um, you know, even though like Carrie and I know about each other's love languages, we know it, we've known it for decades, yeah. but you know, when life gets busy, you tend to still default to your own love languages. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, so there's that. And then just having the, having the patience to go through that journey. Um, this is something in, um, that the Psalmist talks about in Psalm 126, that those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So when you go through that hard season, like they talk about the farmer going out to plant the seeds. And if let's say they're, they're seeds of love and kindness in your relationship, um, the farmer isn't, you know, isn't dancing his way out to the field. He's weeping as he goes, there's hardship, you know, and sometimes when we plant seeds of love in our marriage, there's hardship going on at the same time. There's hard feelings, you know, may not feel like doing it and it's okay. It's not inauthentic to act in loving ways, even if you're, you're not feeling it at the time because you're planting for a harvest. And the, the, the beautiful thing about God's promise is that he, he promises you'll return with songs of joy. So wait for the harvest because there's joy in the future and you'll return with an abundance. So, you know, the sheaves of wheat or the bundles of wheat that end up growing out of those seeds. Um, there's, there's a promise, a promise for a return that will be greater than what you planted. I, I want to go back to what you just uh, said about choosing to love someone and even when you don't feel it and how that's not an, that's not an inauthentic thing. Can you just expound on that more? Because like that, that just really stood out to me. Well, when you're really struggling, when I think back to the dark days for Carrie and I, I used to think things like, you know, I, I want my marriage to feel on the inside, the way it looks on the outside. Mm. And I I don't want a sham of a marriage. The thing is when you're going through all of this surface conflict, like I mentioned before, there's things under the surface that you're, you're not aware of. Someone needs to take steps away from the mess and toward a better place. And it's, you know, when you can put yourself out there and take that first step, even though you're not sure about how your spouse is going to respond, um, you might not have kindness returned for kindness. You might get a cynical response. You might get something like, oh, sure, you did that now, but what's going to happen in five minutes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is that you, you need to put your trust in Christ and not put your trust in your spouse at the time. So the the authenticity of the love actually comes from the love of God. Mm-hmm. You're praying that it's the love of God that feeds me right now. And if that love can flow through me, then I don't need to worry about me being frustrated, me being fed up, 
me even wondering whether I've signed up for a lifetime of misery. I don't have to worry about that part of it, but I just pray and be open to what God has and plant the seeds of love, you know, do the loving thing anyway. And um, we like to say that um, your, your emotions will follow your obedience. So when you take the steps, do, you know, be obedient to God's command to love. Uh, and when you do that, even when you're, you're not feeling it, your emotions will eventually follow. Uh, I would just love your perspective on for the person who's listening and maybe they're not in a long-term relationship either because, you know, they've never been married or they've been divorced. Um, what advice would you give to that person about, Hey, if work on these things during your, your singleness and it will help lead to greater results whenever, if you end up getting married. Absolutely. It's so important to have a, a clear idea of who you want your spouse to be. And it's, I mean, to the point where you, um, you have defined what traits are you looking for? Uh, what are your bottom lines? So what, whatever you see, um, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Don't live with the delusion that, well, once we get married, this is going to change. You actually need to see the, at least the seeds, you need to see at least the germination of those traits before you get married and not, don't ever expect that you're going to change your spouse <laughs> because you, you won't. So look for, you know, be deliberate about what you're looking for. And I I would say you really want to make sure that there's a climate of kindness and mutual respect between you. Uh, You want to see in advance that there's um, a willingness that both of you are willing to uh, listen to each other, you know, to compromise. It's not like it's my way or the highway for either of you. I think those are warning signs. And I think for you, for you to be able to pray together out loud is a, is a great way to start out and then become a student of your future spouse, like learn as much about them and about yourself as you can. So, you know, do your Enneagrams if you haven't done them already, take the personality assessments, go to the, the marriage course or the, the pre-marriage course that your pastor's offering, because they're going to ask questions. They're going to ask at least one question that you haven't deliberately thought about yet. And, you know, the more you can be students of each other and just develop this mutual respect and a sense of being a team, you know, that you're heading into the future and that you're, um, you're going in there both looking forward in the same direction, um, but wanting good things for each other. Uh, so you, you have that, have that inclination that both of you are uniquely designed and you have a purpose in this world and whatever you can do to sort of multiply the impact for both of you is, is going to be what leads you to a a joyful and fulfilled marriage. What are some of the, the, the life-giving practices that you and Carrie have implemented or the habits or the disciplines that have, you know, really, really led to your marriage, just uh, flourishing? These are things that we developed over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we always had a, uh, our individual devotion practices when we were married. Um, but over the years, we've just come to realize how important it is to have shared experiences and to, to plan to do things together that are fun and even stretching. Like the, the research actually shows that if you try novel or exciting things together on your date nights, mm-hmm. it actually brings you closer. Hmm. So we've tried to expand, expand our horizons. Like when we're tri- when we're traveling, for example, you know, we went sea kayaking uh, in the ocean and it was, I mean, it sounds like fun. Um, it was actually terrifying to get out <laughs> through the breakers. Yeah. I, I, when I, it was such a different picture than what I imagined in my mind when I signed us up. I thought we'd be in some harbor that was protected. No, we actually had to go out through the crashing waves. Oh, <laughs> oh my. Uh, that leads to the but best stories, do, though. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh. 
So shared experiences Mm -hmm. and really coming to understand that you can't control each other's emotions. Mm -hmm. Like the only person whose emotions I can control are my own and Carrie's emotions are his own, but the best way to build a bond and be close to each other is to, to actually lean into each other's emotions and notice them and respond to them. We used to make the mistake of ignoring each other's emotions or dismissing them or jumping straight into problem solving. Like if Carrie was venting about a meeting, you know, and I start problem solving right away saying, well, did you talk to the other pastor? You know, what did you, did you talk to the elder? And, and instead what I really need to do if, if he's upset is to say, wow, that sounds like a really painful meeting you went through. Huh? I'd be upset about that too. And sit, sit with their emotion and even try to label it. You know, if you try to label your spouse's emotion and you get it wrong, they'll tell you, but it'll actually grow you closer in the meantime, because you need to have uh, that emotional connectedness where you're on the same page in your marriage and you, you can't do it if you're skipping the emotion. Uh, What's helped you get to the place to where you're just really comfortable just being vulnerable with your story and everything? I think it was seeing so many people walk through their divorce process Mm. and seeing that in some cases it looked like their struggles weren't as intense as Carrie's and, and, and mine were. And Realizing that, you know, for some people, when the love feels like it's gone, that's an indication that the marriage is over. And I I knew that, you know, we had been in that place where it felt like the love was gone. Um, But actually, after our after this whole journey, um, turning our marriage around and, and knowing how good it is now, I I just wanted people to realize that there may be hope for your marriage. If you, if one of you hasn't checked out already, there may be more hope than you think. Yeah. And just one last question that I want to ask you is looking back over uh, years and Carrie's years of marriage, years of marriage with all of the chapters, you know, the scenes, the challenges and everything. Have you been able to see like maybe like a theme or a couple of themes that have stood out? Hmm. Well, one of the themes definitely would be change, hmm. being open to change. Yeah. And Carrie even wrote that book, yeah. Leading Change Without Losing It. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I, I think beyond that, we we both got into our marriage willing to hear what Jesus has to say, like willing to not only hear it, but also follow. Like our, our passion starting out really was to follow Jesus, and it still is. And I think one of the themes is that we've been able to say yes to Jesus. Mm. So, you know, I think sometimes people have the misconception that uh, once you decide to follow Christ, um, everything is going to be wonderful and you won't face problems and you won't have suffering. And, and actually we follow, <laughs> we follow a savior who walked an extreme path of suffering on our behalf, but then reached something incredibly beautiful, you know, salvation for mankind uh, out of his suffering. And why would we think as his followers that it would be any different for us? And so sometimes in our, in our personal journey, we've certainly found this with our personal growth that, you know, getting down to the victim story, um, dealing with healing from trauma, you know, and the, the deep seated wounds, um, those are painful journeys. And so Jesus calls us into those painful journeys because he wants freedom for us. And there's something beautiful on the other side. But if you don't say yes to the pain, if you try to go around it, circumvent it, avoid it, uh, you, you just won't get there. If you really want to go where Jesus is pointing you to go, you have to be willing to say yes to the pain. 
Well, Tony, I know that people are going to want to continue to learn from you and pick up the book. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? TonyNewhoff.com is my website, but I, I think a little easier than spelling Newhoff <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is just the, the title of the book, Before You Split. Um, so BeforeYouSplit.com will, will lead or Amazon, just search Before You Split and you'll get connected. And then I'm on the socials under my name, Tony Newhoff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks so much for just doing the work and just uh, writing this book and putting that into the world. Well, thank you, Caleb. I really appreciate what you do in in hosting all these conversations. It was great having Tony on the podcast today. Thanks again for being on. I'm going to be sure to check out her book, Before You Split, as well. And uh, and best way to make sure that you continue to learn from her is go to her, uh, her website, as she mentioned. And so thanks so much for listening to today's episode of The Learner's Corner. Uh, Garrett and Sam, thanks so much for all the work that you do to help make the podcast awesome as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, the best way to make sure that you don't miss a single episode is by subscribing to whatever podcast player you use as well, whether that be Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcast or uh, Google Play or whatever it might be. Just go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. And feel free to leave a rating and write a review. That would be very helpful as well. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, anything that you would love us to cover, any topics or any people like that, would love to hear from you. The best way uh, to reach out to me, uh, actually probably two ways, would one be go to Instagram and you can find me at Caleb J. Mason or you could just email me at CalebMason91 at Gmail. Would love to hear from you. And thanks so much for joining us today at the Learner's Corner. And we will see you next time. I get, actually, I got to give it correctly. Thanks so much for joining the Learner's Corner today. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>